I'm Raven Rollins, and this is my Southern True Crime podcast where I discuss cases from my former hometown. Ada, Oklahoma paints itself as an average community, but its history of murder and corruption runs deeper than any story has ever told. You'll hear plenty of special guests, including authors and experts in their fields, who visit with me on each episode, as well as other cases in the southern states. With notorious and unknown cases alike, every victim sees the light on my show. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. It's Alicia Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, the podcast that shines a light in dark places. Today, we're going to finish out the mind-blowing story about the cannibal kidnappers, a frightful group of men plotting to kidnap, rape, murder, and eat women together on a website called darkfetishnet.com. If you haven't heard the last two episodes, please go back and listen to get caught up as you're definitely going to want to know what's happening with these guys. And we want you to be able to enjoy the final part three of the story where these cannibals get what they deserve. So the long short of the story is this Gilberto Valley was the cannibal cop from New York and Dale Bollinger was the Canterbury cannibal from the UK. They're not the only two people that were involved in this. And that's kind of freaky, actually. So these guys were lurking around on this death fetish forum, looking for women to kidnap and cannibalize. It's just awful. So now that I've set the stage, Alicia, can you take us back to where we left off with these frightful fetishers? Unfortunately, I can. So we're going to dive back into the setting. We're going to meet up right in Gilberto's DMs on Dark FetishNet as username Girl Meat Hunter. His inbox is super full. He's going in there checking his messages and surprise, he's got over 20 different people in there that he's just like chit-chatting with casually about how to cook and murder women. That's so wrong. Yeah, it's it's mind-bending that that's his reality, but there were three men in particular that seemed very serious about doing this that were really close to Gilberto geographically, and they weren't just talking to him in Dark Fetish Net. They had even started talking to him directly through emails, and the FBI had been investigating Gilberto, and when they saw that he was emailing with these other men, they zeroed in on them too. And they just wanted to learn as much as they could about these guys and see if they were really serious with their plans or not. So Gilberto got the charges having to do with conversations he was having with Dale Bollinger. And those were independent of these plans that he was making with these other men that were close to him. But Gilberto did lead the FBI to them. And So I want to introduce who these other guys are because they were in some serious trouble as well. So the first one is named Michael Van Heis. He's a 23-year-old auto mechanic from New Jersey. 
And he's obviously not the brightest because in these death fetish forums, he's using the alias Michael. (laughs) Way to hide your name, buddy. Well, he did go ahead and call himself Michael S. So I guess he changed his last name initial, but he was still going by his his real name. And all of his email addresses that he was using to plot murder with had the name Michael in them. So one of them was Michael Van Heis, 81 at AOL.com. Some of them were Michael with a string of numbers after it. He had multiple accounts he was using to talk about kidnapping murdering and eating women with so he's off to a bad start already come on michael i mean you're making me feel like intelligence isn't necessary to be a cannibal i it's not a requirement he has uh strengths in other areas ladonna (laughs) (laughs) well i hope so the next guy that we want to look at his name was richard melts he was going by the handle john reddick And he was actually a 66-year-old ex-police chief living in Linden, New Jersey. What? Yeah, another police. I'm telling you, didn't I just say this last time? I'm going to say it again until people are probably going to be sick of hearing it. You cannot identify a fetisher by looking at them. They're just everywhere. They could be teachers and in this case, you know, a cop. Gosh. Yeah, Gilberto is a cop. Uh, Richard Meltz. He was a cop, even a police chief. Blows my mind. And the third guy that we're going to talk about today is Christopher Ash. His username was Pudding Hand. <laughs> and he was a 65 year old retired librarian living in Manhattan at the time. Before he was outed as a fetisher, Christopher Ash had gotten into some trouble while working at a prestigious school in Manhattan. Christopher was arrested in 2009 for allegedly touching the male students' backs and whispering things into one of their ears. So that's really creepy. Was he whispering, hi, I'm putting hand. (laughs) I'm putting my hand somewhere I shouldn't be. Oh, that was good. That was a good one. (laughs) So I just want to clarify when I say Michael was 23, Christopher was 65. These are the ages that these men are at the time of them being investigated. So like around 2008. So they're all older now, obviously. But I do find it interesting that Christopher Ash is having death fetish forum conversations with all these men in 2008 while he is working at a school in 2009 touching male students allegedly yeah that's that's really creepy so i'm going to dive in here a little bit too i want to share some information in june of 2008 richard melts and christopher ash remember he's aka pudding hand they start (laughs) (laughs) they start getting to know each other without michael and melts says And I quote, I will plan on calling you this Monday after work so we can freely talk about our desires. Perhaps some Saturday morning we can meet for breakfast and see where it goes from there. I will tell you there is nothing too extreme for me. So feel free to tell me all that you desire. Being married, I have to be somewhat discreet until we know each other better. I live about 45 minutes, one hour from you. My desires run very dark and very deep. And hey, I work out and I have strong hands and arms. 
Mickey and Mallory, Albert DeSalvo and Ted Bundy are some that sparked my interest. I'm not much into blood, but strangling, smothering, drowning, and snuff in general arouse me. And again, I enjoy emailing you, and as we get to know each other better, I will be freer and more open. I have been seeking a partner for a very long time, someone who feels like I do, and someone I can trust. Let me know a little bit more about you, too. Just knowing you are there and so close arouses my interests. And Puddinhand replies, I understand the need for discretion, so please don't worry. I, too, have been looking for a partner or partners for a long time. Actually, it's not that hard to find a partner, but one you can trust and one who isn't reckless, deeply depressed, or abusing drugs is a lot more difficult. My fantasies also run very dark and deep. I don't have any experience principally because I haven't felt I could do a scene safely, because I have no interest in being caught. I would love to be able to turn some of my fantasies into reality, and I've stayed hopeful that it'll be possible to meet some guys like myself, guys like yourself. Also like yourself, I'm not that much into blood. My preferred method is strangulation, less muss and fuss. I do have a fantasy of cutting some new holes into a victim, particularly if we're a small group so that everyone could fight at the same time. I'm open to other methods, however, and snuff in general gets me hard. One suffocation fantasy I have is to use our dicks as weapons and cut off a vic, which is, I guess, short for victim, cut off a Vic's air by shoving them down a throat. I also would like to choke out a Vic at the point of orgasm. Nothing too extreme for me either. And I'm also interested in necro, cannibalism. I have no boundaries as far as age is concerned, except maybe at the upper end. Some of the guys who interest me are Bundy, Dahmer, and pairs of men like Lucas and Tool. I'm glad you're so close. I'd love to meet for breakfast at some point. I'll plan to be around on Monday afternoon so we can talk. This guy is disgusting. And I'm going to be honest. I feel a new t-shirt coming on. We need, <laughs> we do. I, we need shirts that say, not a Vic. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know they had so many slang terms. I guess, you know, they're trying to be discreet. But yeah, no more Vicks. They really, truly are wannabe serial killers. As you can see in those messages, they idolize serial killers and they want a partner in crime. They're looking for a murder bud. It's like the classified ads or it's like they're on a dating site, but it's for a murder bud. Yeah, that's what it feels like. But I mean, just what we've heard so far, this is scary and they seem like a match made in hell. I mean, they're a good fit and they're talking even more frequently on the phone. And I guess that goes on for quite a while. Eventually, Richard and Christopher did meet up in person, at least on one occasion. And Christopher says that he had visited Richard at his home and had spent time in his basement. Okay. Yeah. And this is where Richard claimed to have previously strangled at least two women. And that's really scary. 
So in early 2012, after almost four years, four years, Alicia, this is a serious time investment. I mean, there are marriages that don't last that long. I just have to interject when you were mentioning that they met up and he took him into his basement. Can you imagine he's leading him down there and he's like, this is the spot where I strangled two women. And they're just like standing there salivating together. That's so gross. It is. And really, really scary as hell. I just, okay, we've said it. We say it a lot, but it is mind blowing. I'm just going to say it again. Like I'm having a hard time comprehending that this goes on. But, you know, here it, here it is. And so you said they've been doing that for four years, four years. So, you know, Richard and Christopher are plotting to be murderers together. Like they just, you know, love each other and they're getting all ooey gooey, you know, over murder. And believe it or not, their first documented correspondence with Michael Van Heis, that 22 year old mechanic that we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. that surfaces and it appears that they likely met on dark fetish net sometime before that we're not exactly sure when but it did move to email when they realized michael was as serious as they were about murdering women so he became i guess the third musketeer of murder so and that first email exchange took place on about march 1st of 2012 and michael sends christopher a sexually suggestive photograph of an unidentified white girl and michael tells christopher that he's quote-unquote getting hard and is curious about what christopher wants to do to them the them being an apparent reference to the white girls as well as some other women who were in those photographs so it's getting really serious and really dark now michael had sent christopher these horrible photographs that I just mentioned they're both getting all excited about this and Christopher responds to that email and says he would like to overwhelm and outnumber those women yeah he's getting all hot and bothered by this and that he and Michael should quote unquote and this is horrible should stuff each hole this is graphic and maybe do a double bag I can't even or double anal to really stretch their holes open he would love to fist them too. We should keep all their holes filled all the time though. This just reminds me of like little kids who are trying to destroy their Play-Doh set. Like they're talking about these women as if they're just not human even. It's totally disgusts me. But this email conversation then turns uh, into them sharing more photographs. And the photos that Michael starts to share next are of his sister-in-law, Sherry Davis. And Michael asks whether Christopher is still going to try to help him, quote unquote, do my sis-in-law. And Christopher replies, I don't think you should be involved with your sister-in-law because you might be considered as a suspect. She should probably be on your list of Vicks that your buddies could help you with instead of you. Oh my gosh. Well, Michael does not even respond to Christopher's concerns, believe it or not. Instead, he returns to the white girl photograph and says, should I strangle the bitch tonight or just wait for you to go back with me to kill her? And Christopher responds with, what are the circumstances? Will you be at her house? In the park? Somewhere else? in the car what will you do with it afterwards michael answers that he will 
quote, more than likely be at the victim's house and that he wants to use his car to dump her body in the woods, unquote. Christopher urges with caution, noting, that seems risky to me. Too much of a chance someone would come across it. Let me talk to Rick, who is Richard Meltz, and see if he can get away at all. He knows a number of spots in the Poconos that are very isolated where it wouldn't be necessary to bury it. Michael agrees and says, I think I should wait. And anyway, I'd prefer to have your help and for you to be there. Michael writes that he just can't wait because he just turned 22 and is waiting for fun. And Christopher says, I know how exciting it can be. I've been waiting for years. Rick hasn't done anything in close to 20 years, but good things come to those who wait. It's easy enough to do this, not getting caught is the hardest part. We have to minimize the risk to us, and we have to do it when the circumstances are right. And in early 2012, Michael and Christopher, they go on to meet up. So once again, showing that all these conversations they're having are not just fantasy. They go ahead and meet up in Trenton, New Jersey, where Michael was living. And Michael drives Christopher around Trenton in his white station wagon that he was talking about before. And he shows him a bar. And he says, hey, we can pick up a hooker here. And he shows him two other locations that he thought would be suitable dump sites for a female victim's body. Christopher does admit later on that he and Michael talked about a number of things when they were driving around. He admits that they went to a bar that would be good to pick up a hooker and that they drove down an alley that would be good to dump a body at and he says that they changed their mind about it because they decided it was too residential. And he says that Michael also took him to a park that he thought would be a good dumping ground. And Christopher was, you know, saying, no, this park doesn't really work either. The alley didn't work. The park doesn't work. We need to go to the mountains or something like, and (laughs) this, you know, amuses me because If you think back to it, Michael, he's young. He's the one using the email addresses with his name in it. And he's got some bad ideas for where to dump a body. And Christopher is basically trying to like, you know, teach him how to be a better murderer. Yeah, he's a murder mentor. I mean, that's (laughs) really, I mean, that's what he is. And it's, that's awful to think that, that these sites are bringing these type of people together so they can help each other you know get away with crimes or to learn how to murder people in a better fashion anyway michael then asks when do you think the next time we can meet up is so we can look at some good spots to dump and i can also show you some of the girls i want and christopher makes it clear that he and his partner richard his murder bud definitely want to follow through with meeting up with Michael. And he says they are quote unquote hot to do this and that they need to do it safely. So the three men continue to communicate. They keep sharing photographs of potential victims. They keep making plans about where they're going to dump them, where they could pick people up from. And Christopher says, it'd be hot to hold an infant between us so we could fuck both ends what that's really horrifying it's just hard to comprehend but michael replies 
especially if it's my sis-in-law's reference to Michael's one-year-old niece is known as it's. Isn't that awful? That's so gross. So on May 30th, 2012, Richard proposes this. He says, coming to the city to hunt for a victim with Christopher, continuing on to say that he will maybe pick up a hooker to strangle. I mean, just like casual conversation here. Well, we might pick up a hooker today and strangle them. Might kill an infant. Might pick up a hooker and strangle. These are just like blase, normal things that they talk about that they think they're going to do. It's scary. And on June 30th, 2012, in an email, Michael asks Richard, would you help me do my sister-in-law and her kids? I can describe them to you. And Richard replies and said, Oh, yes, to do family is a special treat. She would certainly let you in and she would trust you until she felt the cord tightening around her lovely neck. Michael then emails photographs of his sister-in-law, Sherry Davis, and believe it or not, of her four children, who were then ages three, five, one, and nine to Richard. So he emails photos of these kiddos. And these are real people in his life. So disgusting. Michael also tells Richard about his interest in having Richard murder his pregnant wife. Her name is Bolise Van Heis. And Michael explains in detail what he would like Richard to do. And Michael says he would like the honor of hanging her about his pregnant wife. And he says he wants to drape her as she swings. All three men agree in this conversation that they might be able to do Michael's bidding in October. On October 24th, 2012, FBI agents arrest Gilberto, the cannibal cop. They had seen the emails where Michael had been speaking with him about kidnapping, raping, and murdering a woman named Alyssa or Elisa. I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, but it's still frightening. And I'm glad they got him and that they saw these things because I feel like that was huge in what was going to happen next. Two days later, on October 26, 2012, the same day that Christopher had proposed the kidnapping of Michael's wife, the FBI agents executed a search warrant at Michael's grandparents' house. Michael and his grandmother returned to the home while the search was going on. And at this time, Michael gave the FBI a statement, and he admitted to a plot with multiple other men. He just agreed to yes this is true the fbi reviewed his other email accounts and michael told the fbi agents that he was only communicating with these men to see who was really serious about murder so he could turn them all in that's bullshit yeah i'm gonna call bullshit that too he said he had already approached law enforcement with the information New Jersey police departments testified that Michael had not, in fact, reported any of this or his online activities to them. So that was indeed bull. Does not surprise me at all. I mean, he was like, I have to tell them something. Why would I be doing this? Why would I be offering my pregnant wife up to be murdered? So he had to say something, I'm sure, in the moment. And that excuse did not pan out for him. So we've got Michael over there talking to the FBI. And while that's going on, Christopher is trying to figure out how to cover up his tracks. In November 2012, Christopher had conducted an internet search about kidnapping methods, including how to make sleeping powder, 
where to buy chloroform, how to make sleeping gas. And he had also researched and downloaded a computer program designed to disguise and render untraceable any and all internet communications and browsing history. In mid-December 2012, FBI Special Agent Aaron Spivak, with Michael's consent, went ahead and took control over all of Michael's email accounts. So we've got this FBI agent using Michael's account and talking to the other fetishers. And he pretends to be Michael and he introduces Christopher to a new guy that he wants to include in their murder bud club. He introduces Darren Watson, who is spoiler alert, actually another FBI agent, (laughs) the FBI agent, Aaron, who is masquerading as Michael at this point says that Darren is his friend who's interested in kidnapping, raping, and murdering women just like the rest of them. He tells everybody that he met him on Dark Fetish Net, just like the rest of them, and that, you know, they should swoop up Darren and and pull him into their murder bud pack. And he gives everybody an email address of this Darren guy and says, he's good. I checked him out. Let's bring him in. Oh, wow. Well, in the meantime, Michael is arrested. He gets arrested in January, actually on January 4th of 2013. And in a post-arrest statement, Michael tells the agents that he was, quote, unquote, serious about kidnapping, raping, and killing women. Like he's admitting to it and that his sexual desires provide the motivation for his conduct. So he spills the beans. He's the weakest link in that murder pack. And we can assume he's doing this. He's like, okay, the jig is up. They've gone through all my email accounts. They know that I wasn't doing this as some kind of angelic vigilante mission. It's obvious that I'm into this. So he's probably just trying to save himself at this point and make some kind of a deal with the FBI. But Christopher hears about Michael's arrest and he's worried. He confides in Darren that he's really scared that their email exchanges that they've had with Michael might be found. And this blows my mind, but Christopher at this point asks if he can meet with this new guy, Darren, to discuss a new kidnapping plan. (laughs) Oh, ouch. That one's going to hurt a little when he finds out who Darren is. So I can't believe he understands that this guy he's been talking to long-term is arrested right now for plotting to murder women and he's okay with planning a different murder with some new guy that's a mistake but during the conversation with Darren Christopher expresses an interest in targeting women that are going to attend a Puerto Rican day parade so he's telling Darren there are hundreds and thousands of people that attend these parades and they get really really drunk And at the end of the parade, they go down to the village where they continue to drink. And he thinks that targeting a victim there is a great idea because it would be a woman who's super drunk, who might even be at the point of passing out at the bar and that they could just kind of swoop in there and give these ladies that are super drunk even more drinks and make them pass out and that it'd be a super easy victim to grab in New York City. I think I would just add here too. this should be a cautionary tale to young women. 
be careful. I'm not saying that this means that you can't go get drunk, but I just be careful. Make sure that you have somebody with you at all times. It's that, you know, that sober person. It's also going to be your driver that can help you be safe because there are people out there trolling different places looking for women to be victims. So don't, don't be a Vic. Don't be a Vic. Stay in groups. Make sure that you're going to be safe if you go out and party. So Christopher doesn't realize he's sharing this plan with an undercover FBI agent. He says, I know what Rick's fantasies are and what he likes. Ideally, he'd like to be able to keep someone for a long time. To be able to torture repeatedly. He wants to be raping repeatedly. And then, you know, he w- that's that would be my ideal. Would be to have someone somewhere that we could go out on the weekend And after a while, we've made it, we've made it useless from all the abuse and stuff, you know, then we'd decide to snuff it and get rid of it and move on to the next one. Ha 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 ha. So this was information that he was sharing over a recorded phone call. And it's super interesting to me that he can't bring himself to refer to the Vic as a woman or a she anymore. He has to go into just calling it it like it's not a person. A new slogan comes to my mind when I think about them. Got to watch out for these dicks so you don't become a Vic. (laughs) Just saying. There's no shortage of uh, safety slogans coming out of these horrific exchanges here. So several of these phone calls and then eventually in-person meetings happened between Christopher and FBI agent Darren. And this was going on in January, February, and March of 2013. On March 13th, 2013, Darren and Joe, who is another FBI agent posing as a fetisher, and Christopher meet up at a coffee shop in lower Manhattan. So they're there to further discuss the kidnapping of this female undercover agent and their surveillance of her, right? So they're huddled over coffee talking about this. And Christopher remarks, she deserves to die. I just have to say that I love that there's so many FBI agents involved in this. We've got Darren. We've got the first FBI agent that's pretending to be Michael now. Um, which is interesting because he was in jail. So I wonder if Michael had to go quiet for a little bit. And that's why Darren entered the picture. But then we've got Joe coming into the picture. And then there's another female undercover agent who's going to be suggested as some kind of victim. I love this. They are so busted and they just don't have any idea yet. They're at Starbucks. Okay. And these three men are sitting around discussing how to incapacitate this victim, how to get her into their van and away from where they're at, how they're going to whisk her away. And Christopher shows the agents what was contained in this white shopping bag he had brought to the meeting. Okay. And in this bag, it contained a couple of maps of New York city, a list of gun shows, the list of things Christopher needed to conduct and kidnap and torture a victim. Okay. So he's got this list and it's scary. He, he lists that he needs heavy rope. He needs clothesline, wire, duct tape, alligator clamps, board clamps, hammer, nails, mouse traps, spreader bars, stocks, nail gun, an electric stapler, cable ties, lag bolts, S hooks, sandpaper it gets worse 
a hacksaw, C-clamps, and lumber. And he also says he's going to need bleach, ammonia, scrub brushes, mop, sponges, garbage bags, and paper towels. And then he says, we're also going to need skewers, matches, a meat tenderizer, and knives. And that's all for the cooking, he explains to these FBI agents. He also asks for a video camera so he can record the murder. Okay, this is disgusting and horrifying. He's like digging his own grave here with them. I'm convinced he's really going to do this. This isn't a fantasy for him. No, this is definitely crossed the line into reality. And in that shopping bag he had, Alicia, it also contained a leather whip, an antipsychotic drug that is commonly used as a sleep agent. So he was going to drug the victim. He also had clamps and alligator clips to be used as a sexual torture device. He had framing nails, leather straps, a black ski mask, a vice wrench, a hammer, pins and needles and syringes and handcuffs. This was all with him in this bag. Christopher explained that he bought these items and brought them to the meeting because it would be easier for him to store those items at Joe's house ahead of time. Right. So I'm going to give this to you so we can already have them there and we could be ready. The agents had not asked Christopher to purchase any of these items. And this is important. I think that further shows that he was actually going to do this. He wanted to do this. This was no longer fantasy. I still can't believe that he was able to trust Darren and Joe, knowing that Michael had recently been arrested. That is, I think, an oversight on his part. Most people in his situation would be a little bit worried about some sort of sting operation. You would think so. But, you know, there's a saying that my grandmother used to have, and it was like, you don't got smarts real good. that one I know but it's so funny and I think of him when we talk about this buddy you don't have smarts real good so it's worth mentioning that Christopher is also accused of having a large collection of child pornography on his computer they did discover and I think that as we cover these cases it seems like child pornography goes hand in hand with death fetish because it just keeps coming up. Christopher had a sadistic torture video on his computer that FBI agents found called Pain 35. It's a black market video that depicts two men torturing two nearly naked women with nipple clamps, a leg spreader, handcuffs, a riding crop and rope, and has scenes of the two men inserting needles into the woman's private parts, both holes. It's hard for me to even say that out loud, but the FBI believes that the women in the movie are not acting. They think they're actually being tortured and that Christopher held that video near and dear to his heart. He watched it like an instruction manual. He was using this video as a tutorial to prepare himself for what he imagined he would do in real life to his own chosen victims. And that makes a lot of sense, given the supplies that you mentioned in that bag, LaDonna. It's really sobering to hear this. Heartbreaking to know that there are women that have fallen into the hands of these types of men who torture and murder them. And I think this is a great example of why I'm so staunchly opposed to death fetish. You hear over and over and over from the fetisher say this is just fantasy 
you know, explain to me then why it spills over into real torture and murder. It's not a hard jump to go from, hey, this guy spends hours every day watching these videos, chatting with people through email about what he wants to do. It's just not a hard jump to think that he might wake up one day and want to enact some of these very careful, detailed plans that he's been making up or role-playing with other people, whatever they want to say it is to describe it as a fantasy. I just don't think it's that strange that somebody would carry out a plan they'd been perfecting over the years. Yeah, I agree. Surprisingly, these three men that were in contact with Gilberto, the cannibal cop, they don't seem to focus super heavily on the cannibalizing of their victims, even though they all say that they're into that and that they enjoy it. It seemed like the three of these men, at least, were very much focused on the logistics of how to take down a woman and torture her as a group of men overpowering her. So there was a lot of different elements to their planning, but It seems very real to me. When we first started researching this, I did sort of expect there to be a lot of information about the cannibalizing aspect of it, but it seems like these guys were just so excited about torturing women. It seemed like that was more of a point for the three of them in their little side shoot plans. And one, at least one of the forums that exists for death fetish, one of the little questions that you have to check off is do you hate women? And I feel like that is goes hand in hand with all of this. And that's why they were, you know, Jones to torture somebody, because I feel like this is a good example of fetishers that hated women. I mean, do you think that's fair to say? Well, it's just not hard to imagine that they would hate women based on the things that they're saying they want to do to them. They can't even bring themselves to call the women they're talking about uh, a she so it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were hateful towards all women but with all of these conversations that we've outlined going on which we know the FBI were privy to they were able to go through all of their accounts and see everything they had ever said to each other in dark fetish net and through email the FBI did feel confident that they had enough evidence to make some convictions And so on April 15th, 2013, Christopher met up with Darren again, who we know is an FBI agent, and Christopher brought even more items to use for this kidnapping, including a stun gun, a taser, leg spreaders, another ski mask, handcuffs, pliers, forceps. And at that meeting, Christopher was arrested. And we find out that Richard had actually been arrested the day before after meeting with Darren. So they got both of them within 24 hours of each other. And when Richard met with Darren, Richard had been giving him some advice on how to best dismember and dispose of a victim's body after being kidnapped and killed. So they went ahead and made the call to arrest him. And both of them were now in custody. Good. Get him off the streets. Fortunately, Christopher Ash was convicted in March of 2014, and he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. I know. It's like, bye-bye, Chris. The sentencing memorandum specifically stated that he was a danger to society and should be sentenced to a substantial period of incarceration. 
significantly above probation's recommended sentence of 120 months. So they recognized that this guy was really, really dangerous and was always going to have this bent to want to hurt women. And I think that's incredibly important because it just shows this is what the legal system thinks and feels about these death fetishers. And there's a lot of people in these communities that I think would potentially qualify for this sort of sentencing if they were researched, if they were looked into and their computer history was gone through. Richard Meltz was arrested, as we know, and he pled guilty to conspiracy and he got a 10-year sentence in 2014. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's a quote here from the U.S. attorney that says, Today's sentence ensures that Richard Meltz will pay with his liberty for his role in a macabre conspiracy to kidnap, brutalize, and kill two victims that fortunately did not come to full fruition. Wow, that's a powerful statement. And I'm glad to see that he took a stance there because this was horrific. This plot was horrific. Fortunately, Michael Van Heis was sentenced to seven years in 2018. And as far as I can tell from research, the three men are still in prison. They could potentially be released in upcoming years, though. And that's frightening. I'm especially concerned about Michael, you know, the youngest. I believe he was 22, 23. Because he's going to be alive for years with these fantasies. And I just don't think he can suddenly say, I no longer have a death fetish. He seemed to be consumed by it and by some of the worst kind of death fetish thoughts that I've seen in my research over the past year and a half. And I'm really concerned that women could be harmed by Michael or by these other men. I think it's a serious, serious concern and we should all take pause it really scares me that michael's gonna have a significant amount of time and freedom coming up pretty soon and i think that we should probably contact these guys i'd be especially interested to communicate with michael and find out like where's he at now with this death fetish has he learned a lesson or does he feel like he was wrongfully imprisoned because one thing that i have seen is that the cannibal cop, which is Gilberto, he talks a lot. He's very vocal on social media about how he was wrongfully convicted and how he was a victim of the thought police. So he doesn't think that anybody on these sites should be in legal trouble because to him, that's the thought police trying to police people's thoughts before they actually do anything wrong. What are your thoughts on that, LaDonna? How do you feel about that statement? I mean, I disagree completely because this was a little bit of both. There was some fantasizing happening, but then you look at these elaborate plots, they're giving addresses, they're sharing photos of real women. That, that goes beyond thought. That's like, I'm actually taking some action and saying, this is the woman I want to kill. But in some of these situations, items that were brought to that meeting with the FBI, and that was some pretty horrific stuff. And that's not thought police. That was, hey, here are the things I'm going to use. Let's go hide it at your house so it's easier for me to access. So I, I'm going to call BS on this thought police notion because there was every indication that these men were going to carry out these acts. 
Mm -hmm. I believe so too. Maybe Gilberto can try to use that defense about himself because he didn't do as much of that meeting up in person as these guys did. I feel pretty confident saying that all of these men would have gone through with something in person if the FBI hadn't stopped them. And I think the FBI did a really good job of towing the line and allowing them to get to the edge of that without teetering over and actually hurting somebody. I think they waited till the last minute that they could. But when these men had already purchased all these tools, they couldn't have kept things going any longer because the next meeting would have just been to go ahead and abduct somebody. Yeah, I agree with you on that. They took it to the edge of action. And that's very scary. And I think that also goes to the point that these websites should not exist. They need to be taken down because it brings these thoughts, these fantasies, these lust for death. It brings it to the edge of fruition. And sometimes it crosses the line into fruition. These murders actually happen. I mean, look at Jane Longhurst. Look at Elaine O'Hara. It's really frightening to think about how there are these little pods of members from the death fetish forums that are communicating in private about what they're going to do in the future together. And I really hope that this is something that can be stopped by us bringing attention to it and teaming up with people in in different areas that can help out with this mission. We need to find a way to shut these websites down so that it's not easy for people to have these conversations and get more comfortable with these fantasies. I know that the FBI already knows about dark fetish net because of the stories we've been covering, but we recently did acquire the true identity of the owner of Dark Fetish Net. So stay tuned for a future episode talking more about that website and their owner and what his involvement in the industry is like. We're coming for you, Dark Fetish Net. You'll be on our show soon enough. <laughs> well, thank you everyone so much for listening today. This concludes our Dark Fetish Net cannibal raid. And we do really, really hope that you'll join us next week as we expose more secrets of the death fetish community. In the meantime, if you have a deep, dark secret you'd like to expose about your community, send us an email at deepdarksecretspodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone. And remember, keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deepdarksecrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.